Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.05 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 26th of January, 2021. This is episode 353 of Bitcoin. And let's just start hitting the FUD. Bitcoin, current crypto assets won't last, Bank of England head says. Jeff Benson is going to tell us about this decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Speaking during a World Economic Forum panel on resetting digital currencies, let me just pause just for a sec, just to, you know, bring it back into your mind of, quote unquote, the narrative. We got a pretty vile narrative going on right now with the whole, the great reset, um, build back better, and now resetting digital currencies. So I, I talked a little bit about this yesterday, but here's this is actually what was the, what I was talking about yesterday was that they were going to have this panel. Now here's some you know some news from the actual first panel that has occurred from so-called resetting digital currencies. The Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey said that no existing digital currency has the design and governance to make a lasting impact on global finance. When asked whether digital currencies had turned a corner in recent years in terms of sentiment or utility, Bailey responded, quote, no, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think cryptocurrencies as originally formulated are it, end quote. Instead, he said there's the whole question of people having assurance that their payments are going to be made in something with stable value, which is the history lesson says ultimately links back to what is called what we call fiat currency. Wow. Bailey, however, said there's room for innovation here, which is why it's important to continue discussing stable coins, which are digital currencies designed to hold their value to another currency and central bank digital currencies, which would be government issued assets. Andrew Bailey has led Britain's central bank since March of last year after previously serving as deputy governor and then as chief executive of the UK securities regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority. Bailey's primary concern then is with regulation, which he said was about serving the public interest. Bailey highlighted highlighted three areas for digital currency in which there were regulatory issues that must be reconciled regarding the public interest. Ensuring stability of value, which is important not just for payments, but also for interoperability. Being able to tackle financial crime and maintaining the privacy of personal information. Makes me wonder if this guy has ever once traded the Forex. Because if he had, he would... Instability of value uh, and interoperability. Yeah, try the Forex, dude. Bailey's comments dovetail with those of Lloyd Blankfein, the former CEO of Goldman Sachs, who said of Bitcoin on CNBC Squawk Box today, if I were a regular, you know what? Let's just see what old Lloyd's going to say about this himself. Look, I've always been, um, you know, I'm not, you know, it could work. Um, It could work. But really, at the end of the day, you know, a currency is supposed to accomplish a couple of things. It's supposed to be a medium of exchange and a store of value. You know, it's a store of value that can move 10% in a day um, that if you lose the code or you lose the slip of paper, um, it's lost forever. Or if somebody takes it from you, how will you know? So it's, you know, the store of value element's a little bit tough. And as a medium of exchange, here's a problem. You don't know whether or not you're paying the North Koreans or Al-Qaeda or, 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 or the Revolutionary Guard. And at the end of the day, if it ever got big enough to be substantial and a real medium of exchange, how could the regulators, so focused as they are on anti-money laundering, and by the way, for good reason, 
uh, going back to you know 9-11 when we found out that following the money is the way you can anticipate and maybe prevent uh, certain crimes. And of course, everybody talks about you know the illicit use of Bitcoin. If you cannot monitor who's getting paid in the financial system, how can the regulators do we want the do we want that to work out well over the long term? Now, this could, you know, like a lot of things, this could be workable, but it will undermine the freedom and liberty and and uh, kind of lack of uh, lack of transparency that people like about it in the first place. So that's the conundrum that Bitcoin will have to deal itself out. If I were a regulator, I'd be, you know, I would be kind of hyperventilating at at the success of it at the moment. And I'd be arming myself to deal with it. Let's get back to old Andrew here. Uh, Andrew continues by saying, um, you know, honestly, well, let's get back to the story. It says, similarly, until some core issues regarding digital assets are reconciled, Bailey's not hopping on the cryptocurrency bandwagon no matter how far up market cap edges. Mm, okay, well, quote, don't think the technology comes before the public interest. It doesn't. Yes, it does. <coughs> it does. It most definitely does. Uh, <laughs> because technology kind of is the public interest, especially when we're talking about free open source software initiatives like, well, like Bitcoin. And to be fair, the other cryptocurrencies, if they are free truly free and open source. Most of them actually aren't, but a few are. Free and open source software basically derives from the public interest. All right, that's just, that's a thing. And that's a thing that people like Lloyd Blank Fine and Andrew, they're just going to have to deal with the fact that they're losing their control and they're going to do everything possible to maintain that control. And I'm not sure how sociopathic you actually have to be to give that much of a shit about it because that whole AML, uh, the the fact that we learned how to quote, follow the money during the whole nine 11 thing. Oh, that's such bullshit. Everything that was in place at nine 11 and most of the technology has not changed since was there a decade two decades before 9-11. This whole thing is a, is a narrative. And it's a narrative designed specifically to keep them in control. And like I said yesterday, there's many, many banks, Australia, uh, China, Singapore, well, actually not, probably in Singapore as well. I mean, all over the place. These banks are laundering money for drug cartels and criminals. We know it, and yet nobody gets in trouble. Yet, they're telling us that we can't do it. And all that, honestly, all that tells me is that these guys have absolutely no intention of enforcing AML on themselves, but will enforce it on us to keep us from getting a piece of that pie. Not that I want a piece of the drug cartel pie. I don't want to have anything to do with those guys. They'll, they'll chop you up, throw you in a hole. They don't give a shit. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're protecting their own, their own criminal interests. And I really believe that there's not anybody that can say, well, but they're essentially good people, David. No, they're not. They haven't proven to me to be anything other than scoundrels, scumbags, and a bunch of degenerate, immoral reprobates, honestly. But be that as it may, it would seem that a lot of other people are not listening to these people as well. Shara Malwa's got this piece out of Decrypt.co. Google searches for Bitcoin are skyrocketing in Argentina. And this was written yesterday. Google searches for Bitcoin in Argentina have surged skyward in the past few months. Data from the search engine giant shows. It follows Bitcoin's price rise from under $4,000 to over $41,000 in the past year, but outperforms searches in other countries. Trends are proprietary metric used by Google to calculate the interest in a particular term, sentence, or word in a certain region in a particular time period compared to all searches for the same terms in another time period. <clears throat> a value of 100 is said to be, quote, peak popularity, while values below 50 mean half or less than half of the popularity. Bitcoin zoomed to the 100 level in Argentina last week, up from a popularity level of just 28 in December of last year. That was just like last month, guys. The move coincided with the asset breaking its all past all-time high of nearly 20,000 to over 41,000 around the same time, which may have contributed to the interest as well. 
The value is also the highest it has ever been in the past five years, with search data showing the current interest for Bitcoin searches was twice that of 2017's infamous bull run. Research shows that since the last decade, Argentina's economy has reeled from price depreciation, excessive debt buildup, inflation, and economic contraction. This has caused widespread unemployment and limited jobs for the youth, all factors that lead to the adoption of decentralized and deflationary assets such as Bitcoin. Data suggest Argentinians are savvy about Bitcoin. A survey by peer-to-peer crypto exchange Paxful last year found out over 73% of the test takers in the country consider Bitcoin as an effective hedge against the ill effects of inflation a sentiment that is now increasingly shared by tech firm CEOs and hedge funds alike. Uh, As such, the devaluation of the Argentinian peso meant Bitcoin broke its Argentinian all-time high much before its U.S. dollar all-time high. The pesos have lost more than 50% of its value in the latter in the past three years, as the chart below shows. Meanwhile, it's not only Argentinians jumping on the Bitcoin bandwagon. Google trend results show similar figures for other countries undergoing their own economic crises such as Nigeria, South Africa, and Ghana. Indeed, even ARK Investment Management CEO Kathy Wood is jumping on the bandwagon. Okay, so this is, um, cons- not consensus, the Coindesk.com, and this was written by Danny Nelson sometime when, sometime yesterday. Uh, Kathy Wood says more tech companies will adopt Bitcoin Treasury Reserves. In a Saturday interview with Yahoo Finance, the exchange-traded fund magnate and outspoken Bitcoin advocate said large companies have asked her if they should follow Square Inc.'s lead. Square is one of the few public companies to invest in Bitcoin as an inflation hedging strategy. Quote, I think we're going to hear about more companies putting this hedge on their balance sheets, she said, particularly tech companies who understand the technology and are comfortable with it, end quote. Her prognostications have yielded returns faster than ARK's upcoming space ETF. On Monday, Bitcoin Bitcoin miner Marathon Patent Group bought some Bitcoin. We'll talk about that in a second. The company is, by its nature, perhaps best suited to understand the nuances of Bitcoin and blockchain technology, but the market-leading cryptocurrency's recent price wings have also highlighted the danger of inexperienced companies trying to bet on Bitcoin treasuries. One day before Wood's interview, virtual reality company, oh God, Next Tech AR dumped its 130 BTC treasury reserve, a quote, long-term investment the Canadian company had disclosed in late December. Executives had gotten spooked by false media reporting on the so-called double spend on the Bitcoin blockchain. God, yeah, that was just, oh, you know, again, you got you got a group of people led by a man with the weakest hands over there at next what next tech, who at the I mean at from a false media story that was a horrible representation of what actually occurred, just dumps 130 BTC on the market. I mean, this is the person you want leading your your tech company, somebody who doesn't understand the basic nuances of how the underlying technology of, of Bitcoin works, that's who you want leading your company, I'd fire the guy. He'd be gone and I would do whatever I could to be watching the markets and see if I can buy back in. Because admittedly, <clears throat> at the time, which the price was a little bit higher, um, they made, I think they booked $200,000 in, well, $200,000 in before tax profit, but they're going to pay, oh, they're going to pay a lot of money on their, on, on getting that because it was, it was so short term there. I, I mean, I don't even think that they're going to be able to claim cap, you know, cap gains or anything. I think it's going to be like, I mean, they held it for like a month and a half. All right. So I don't think they're going to be able to take any kind of, you know, tax break on holding it long term. So they're going to have to book that, I think pretty much with all other uh, corporate income and they're going to pay accordingly for it. Man, that was just a bad move. But, you know, there are some other players that are starting to enter into the Bitcoin space. Uh, even though Lloyd Blankfein <clears throat> and Andrew Bailey seem to think it's a horrible idea, here we have Harvard, Yale, and Brown endowments buying Bitcoin for at least a year, according to sources. Ian Allison is writing this one for finance.yahoo sometime yesterday. 
Some of the largest university endowment funds in the United States have been quietly buying uh, cryptocurrency for the last year or so through accounts held at, God only knows, Coinbase and other exchanges, Coindesk has learned. According to two sources familiar with the situation, Harvard, Yale, Brown, and the University of Michigan, as well as other several colleges have been buying crypto directly on exchanges. Several, uh, where did where'd my thing go? Oh, hold on. I, I lost a screen. Um, <clears throat> let me get back to where I was. Buying crypto directly on exchanges. Several Ivy League endowments took an interest in blockchain technology via crypto-focused venture capital funds back in 2018. Quote, there are quite a few, said a source, who asked to, be rem to remain unnamed. A lot of endowments are allocating a little bit to crypto at the moment. Galen Brown did not respond to requests for comment by press time when reached by Coindesk. Uh, the Harvard and University of Michigan endowments declined to comment. Coinbase also declined to comment. University endowments got a single mention in Coinbase's annual report for 2020, but without naming any names. Some of the university endowment funds in question may have held accounts with Coinbase for as long as 18 months, according to one source. Quote, it could be since mid-2019, the source said. Most have been in at least a year. I would think they will probably discuss it publicly at some point this year. I suspect that they would be sitting on some pretty nice chunks of return. University endowments are pools of capital accumulated by academic institutions, often in the form of charitable donations. These funds, which support teaching and research, can be allocated into various assets for investment purposes. Harvard's is the largest university endowment with over $40 billion, that's a billion with a B, in assets. Yale has over $30 billion. Michigan has about $12.5 billion, while Brown holds $4.7 billion. It is unknown how much each fund is allocated in crypto, but it is likely a fraction of a percent of their total assets. Back in 2018, Yale University Chief Investment Officer David Swenson made headlines by backing two crypto-focused venture funds, one run by Andreessen Horowitz and another launched by Coinbase co-founder Fred Ersham and former Sequoia Capital partner Matt Huang. Several other universities followed Yale in backing crypto VCs, including Harvard, Stanford, Dartmouth College, MIT, University of North Carolina, and Michigan. Clearly, some of those schools appear to be taking the next step by investing directly into the crypto assets themselves. The second source who is involved in the crypto hedge fund world pointed to, quote, a big change over the past few months. Quote, we are seeing defined benefit pension plans getting close <clears throat> to making allocations. We are seeing public pension plans getting close to making allocations. You said it twice. No, that wasn't me, guys. That was the actual, they actually wrote the sentence twice. Anyway, <clears throat> this is according to that particular person who probably also remains unnamed at their own whatever. Quote, if I had heard that three years ago, I would have said it was wrong, said Ari Paul, co-founder of Block Tower Capital and previously an investment manager for the University of Chicago. Quote, but a lot of institutions are now comfortable with Bitcoin. They understand it and can just buy it directly as long as it's from a regulated entity like Coindesk, Fidelity, or Anchorage. So there you go. I, I guess, you know, I guess all the people at Harvard, Yale, and Brown are just, are just stupid, according to, you know, Mr. Blank Fine and, and <clears throat> Andrew. I don't know. It just seems, it seems a little weird, though, because none of these people have actually come out and said, yes, we did this. This is, you got to keep it, you got to keep sh shit in perspective. These people remain unnamed at their own asking and nobody's been able to confirm. So, but still, chances are real good that this has actually happened. <clears throat> we, we shall have to wait and see when they actually make any kind of announcements. But Rothschild has made yet another investment. This, and as, you, as per usual, their, their go-to guy is Barry Silbert over at Grayscale, because Rothschild investment has added to its Grayscale Bitcoin holdings this is Coindesk's Danny Nelson, and uh, this is being written uh, yesterday. Chicago-based Rothschild Investments Corporation recently increased its position in Grayscale Bitcoin Trust to three, oh, no, 30,454 shares, which is a 24% increase from October. 
The institutional investment manager of $1.4 billion disclosed Monday its shares in the trust were worth $975 million at the end of 2020. Rothschild Investment first bought shares, shares of Grayscale's Bitcoin trust in 2017, but appeared to have exited that position shortly after it began buying again <clears throat> in 2019. So I, I don't know. The Rothschilds are stupid too, according to Lloyd Blankfein, because, you know, they're buying Bitcoin, although they're not actually holding the underlying asset. Be very careful about that. If you go, if you, oh, well, I can just go to Grayscale and buy Bitcoin. And no, you can't. You're buying shares in a trust of Bitcoin that is not held by you. And if it's not your keys, they're not your coins. So that trust don't, you know, or verify don't trust. So um, let's see, where are we at? Oh, yeah, Grayscale is back in the news again. This time it's different. Joe Rogers, one of my favorite people, is writing this for Bitcoin Magazine. Grayscale gifts $1 million to Coin Center and will match up to $1 million more in February. This is, uh, yeah, Bitcoin Magazine. Today, crypto research and advocacy group Coin Center received a $1 million donation from Grayscale Investments, as well as a commitment to match any donations made in February up to an additional $1 million. The donation is the second of its kind, which was first pioneered by Kraken back in 2018 with a similar donation and matching campaign. Quote, the Coin Center team has been amazed by the outpouring of support that the cryptocurrency community has shown us over the years, and especially the last few months, reads an announcement on the group's website. Quote, thank you to everyone who has supported us over the years, and a thank you to Grayscale for making this matching campaign a tradition. Donations to Coin Center will go towards its operations budget and reserves. For years, the group has advocated for sensible cryptocurrency and blockchain technology regulations regularly addressing U.S. Legislatures, uh, legislators on Capitol Hill. Grayscale, a subsidiary of Digital Currency Group, is one of the world's largest crypto asset managers. It operates the Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust, which bought a record 16,244 Bitcoin in one day this month. A coin center hosts a landing page, which directs users to make general donations. So if you want to make a donation, hold off until February if you want to donate to these guys because Barry's going to match that, and, uh, which is, I don't know, Barry pisses me off a lot of times, but then he does stuff like this, and I, you know, I, I just kind of can't hate his ass forever. This next one is written by Jesse Willems for BitcoinMagazine.com. Hut8 partners with Foundry Digital to secure 475 petahashes per second in Bitcoin mining capacity. This was written yesterday. Hut 8 Mining Corporation has announced a partnership with financial services firm Foundry Digital to secure $11.8 million in financing, which it will put towards 5,400 new micro BT What's Miner M30S mining rigs, adding uh, 475 petahashes per second to its mining capacity over the next six months. The financing is structured as a 12-month term with an annual interest rate of, well, 16.5%. Holy shit, that's getting up into usury territory right there. In the recently published announcement, HUT 8 CEO Jamie Leverton acknowledged that securing new mining equipment is a big challenge for everyone in the business right now. Quote, this partnership builds on HUT 8's ongoing commitment to shareholders by mitigating supply constraints and reducing our capital expenditure with a proactive fleet management strategy, said Leverton. Once the new equipment is installed, the total hash power coming from HUT-8, uh, named after HUT-8 in London's Bletchley Park, where Alan Turing broke the Nazis' Enigma code, is expected to rise from 825 petahashes a second before the agreement to 1,300 petahashes per second. HUT-8 has two mining farms in Alberta, Canada, in Medicine Hat and Drumheller, most of its energy supply comes from natural gas, which is often vented as a byproduct of oil production. New York State-based Foundry Digital, a subsidiary of digital, <laughs> subsidiary of digital currency group, God, those guys, <clears throat> partnered with MicroBT in September of 2020 to secure access to its mining equipment. As a result, despite a worldwide shortage in new mining equipment that can include months-long waiting times, the parties involved are hopeful that the first of HUT-8's new machines will arrive by the end of January. 
HUD-8 is one of only two Bitcoin companies and the only Bitcoin mining company listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange Senior Board. Financial services from Galaxy Digital are also listed on the TSX Senior Board. I guess that's a cover-your-ass thing. Um, Bitcoin mining company Bitfarms is listed on the Canadian uh, Venture Capital Exchange, while NASDAQ lists Riot Blockchain, Marathon Patent Group, and Hive Blockchain Technologies. HUT8 co-founder and former CEO Andrew Kegel told Bitcoin Magazine in a phone interview that going public had helped the company in securing capital funding, such as this recent partnership with Foundry. Quote, HUD-8 is well positioned to attract new investors as a result of its listing on the Toronto Stock Exchange, Canada's largest senior exchange, and that it has cleared the ability to file a prospectus with the Ontario Securities Commission. HUD-8 was the first blockchain entity to obtain a listing on the senior exchange and to use a short-form prospectus to raise capital, Kegel said. Or Kegel said. Coindesk reported that HUD-8 shares have gained over 190% in the last year, but are currently down over 40% from their peak near $8.50 in early January. Foundry Digital also recently partnered with another mining leader, Compute North, to help them secure 14,000 new M30Ss through its partnership with MicroBT. Looks like MicroBT is going to really start eating Bitmain's lunch here, man. That they seem to be really good machines and people are having problems getting them. So you know, once they crank up their production, I think that's going to be it for Bitmain, honestly. Uh, Bank of Singapore, yet another person uh, or entity that <clears throat> I guess Lloyd uh, Blankfein finds not very smart is the Bank of Singapore, who says that Bitcoin could succeed as a store of value. Now, they're going to come in line with Lloyd Blankfein here in a couple of seconds, but let's just get through it. Jordan Lienchev is writing this for Crypto Potato sometime this morning. The Singaporean private banking arm of the OCBC Bank has dismissed the chances of cryptocurrencies eventually replacing fiat currencies as a medium of exchange. However, the large institution believes that BTC and other altcoins can replace gold in terms of serving as a store of value. Ever since the introduction of Bitcoin in the late 2000s, people have wondered if the cryptocurrency could indeed live up to the potential of operating as an electronic peer-to-peer cash system, as intended by the anonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto. Doubters have breached the infamous volatility as a significant obstacle in BTC's path. It seems that the Bank of Singapore agrees with this narrative, according to recent coverage. Chief economist Mansour Mahiuddin used the movements from the past year where BTC went from a low of 4000 during a mid-March liquidity crisis to an all-time high above $40,000 a month later uh, to exemplify it and dismiss that narrative. However, Bitcoin and other altcoins can have a role as a digital store of value if they manage to address several, several potential issues. Apart from the aforementioned price fluctuations, those include high liquidity and safe custodians. Quote, first... Investors need trustworthy institutions to be able to hold digital currencies securely. Second, liquidity needs to improve significantly to reduce volatility to manageable levels, explained The Economist. Additionally, the crypto ecosystem requires more regulations from world watchdogs to reduce their alleged involvement in criminal activities. However, Mohi Uden warned that if governments <clears throat> felt threatened by the existence of particular digital assets, they could fight back, which is the case with the growing trend of central bank digital currencies. The bank's economist explained that the growing appetite from institutional investors had supported the belief that Bitcoin should be used as a store of value instead of a medium of exchange. Furthermore, some of them even outlined the idea that BTC could replace gold or it's better than the precious metal in a way. I think they've been, or that it's better than the precious metal in a way. Skybridge Capital co-founder Scaramucci, the Mooch Man, recently asserted that the largest cryptocurrency is easier to store, harder to steal, more portable, and ultimately better than gold. CIO at the Wall Street behemoth BlackRock, Rick Reeder, predicted that BTC could take some of the market share of the yellow metal and eventually even replace it. Similarly, JP Morgan's analysis concluded that the cryptocurrency has started to garner some of gold's market share, which could harm the bullion's price in the long run. Well, gee, with all these behemoths getting in and buying BTC, 
is it possible that Lloyd Blankfein and 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 Mr. Andrew guy uh, is possibly starting to put out this narrative to slow retail adoption of BTC so that these guys can get it all? If that's the case, my advice is to buy Bitcoin. And honestly, at this point, why wouldn't you? Just saying. Now, uh, let's see, what do we got left here? Yeah, let's go ahead and run these numbers. CNBC futures and commodities has uh, well, energy futures are all in the green. We got uh, West Texas Intermediate is up half a percent to $53.04. Brent North Sea chilling out at $56.12. That is up 0.43%. Natural gas swinging high to almost two points above $2.65 is what a thousand cubic feet of that stuff is going to cost you. All the metals are down, but not by a whole lot. Gold is down 0.65 and silver is down 0.07. Platinum is down 0.34. Copper is down uh, half a point and palladium's taken the largest hit, almost down a full point. I got indices all in the green. However, again, not by a whole lot. I got a 0.23% change to the upside for Dow, 0.12 to the upside for S&P, 0.04 0.04 upside for the NASDAQ futures and S&P mini is going to come in at 0.17 to the upside. Real money comes along next, $31,922. So we had a short-lived rally yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's the roller coaster. Uh, you know, it's been a while since, honestly, it's kind of been a while since I've been on the roller coaster, but um, yeah, <laughs> I remember spending so much time going sideways that I forgot what massive shifts looked like. Um, I did all that during the 2016-2017 run-up and watching these wild swings to the up and down. And it's hard to, it's hard to wrap your head around, you know, or it's, it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't seen it before. Now that, you know, I've gotten a couple of people to actually hold on to Bitcoin, it's very difficult for them to to really wrap their head around this kind of wild volatility because nobody's ever seen this shit before. But nobody's ever going to see this, hasn't seen this before because this is, I think, the first time in the history or in recent history, several generations, in fact, have not seen a new asset go through price discovery. I mean, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Guy Swan was talking about oil probably being the very last time that a brand new asset appeared and went through a price discovery uh, moment. But here we are again with Bitcoin and new assets and price discovery equal volatility. So just, you got to get used to it. I do have a low, it's going to be over at Bitstamp. It's all the way down to 31,768. So there's a fair bit of arbitrage room there if you want to go give it a shot. 343,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours, significantly up from yesterday. That's about 14,320 transactions on average per hour with almost half a million BTC being sent in that 24-hour period. That's 20,455 BTC being sent on average every hour with an average transaction value of 1.43 BTC a median transaction value of 0.026 BTC or about $833. Block times are significantly low. <clears throat> Eight minutes and 50 seconds, a full minute off of where we should be. We have 0.59 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. Almost 100 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've only had a small drop, a half a percent drop in hash rate, but we're at 151 exa hashes per second securing the network. What's Doge doing? Doge is 0.008, so it's almost a penny. If you're holding holding that shiny bag of Doge, it's almost worth a penny, man. However, it's still tromping all over uh, Ethereum Classic in terms of transactions made in the last 24 hours. And the re- pretty much the field of all the cryptocurrencies are all getting, you know, getting their ass handed to them. It's because that's what Bitcoin allows. It, th- these things don't move without Bitcoin. So that's why I Bitcoin. And with 28,290 transactions waiting to load into 63 blocks to clear, uh, we have Bitcoins or 
Clark Moody's got a price of $31,700. <clears throat> One Bitcoin's only going to get you 17 ounces of gold, and that's going to be representative of the 4.91% of the gold market cap that Bitcoin has seized, which is to the tune of $589 billion. We still have 1,055 BTC in the uh, Lightning Network, and that's $33.4 million of capacity across 8,506 nodes. And we've had a channel increase, though. 37,201 channels have, are, are there. Tor side of the uh, Lightning Network is up to 52.4%. That's 555 uh, BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network and 3,183 Tor nodes running that. And that will do it for the vitals. Part two of the news you can use. We're going to start with this one. This is the actual press release from Marathon uh MarathonPG.com, uh, was it? Yeah, MarathonPG.com. It's actually IR.MarathonPG.com. But this is that the, <clears throat> the Bitcoin mining company. <clears throat> now, this one was written uh, by the, or released yesterday, uh, January the 25th. And it says, let's see here. One of the largest enterprise Bitcoin self-mining companies in North America, Marathon, today announced that it has purchased four, yeah, 4,812 BTC in an aggregate purchase price of $150 million. <clears throat> as a result, the company has strengthened its position as one of the only NASDAQ-listed pure play investment options for individuals and institutions seeking exposure to Bitcoin. To ensure the purchase was conducted effectively, Marathon worked with NYDIG, a leading technology and financial services firm dedicated to Bitcoin. <clears throat> NYDIG's trading, execution, and asset management expertise enabled Marathon to take advantage of favorable market conditions and execute the transaction as efficiently as possible. Quote, by purchasing $150 million worth of Bitcoin, we have accelerated the process of building Marathon into what we believe to be the de facto investment choice for individuals and institutions who are seeking ex exposure to this new asset class. We also believe that holding part of our treasury reserves in Bitcoin will be a better long-term strategy than holding U.S. dollars. Similar to other forward-thinking companies like MicroStrategy, said Merrick Okamoto, Marathon's chairman and CEO, quote, to date, we have con uh, contracted to purchase 103,060 miners, all of which are currently expected to be delivered and fully deployed by the end of the first quarter of fiscal 2022. If all miners were operational today, based on the Bitcoin network's current difficulty rate, we would produce approximately 55 to 60 Bitcoin per day. However, by leveraging our cash on hand to invest in Bitcoin now, we have transformed our potential to be a pure play investment into a reality. Uh, I would like to thank the entire NYDIG team for offering their unique products and services for public companies and for working with blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I get it, dude. I get it. You're thanking D NYDIG. Robbie Gutman, co-founder and CEO of NYDIG, commented, quote, we deeply admire Marathon's commitment to the Bitcoin ecosystem, and we are very pleased to add them to the list of companies who utilize NYDIG as the institutional choice for corporate treasury solutions. NYDIG is uniquely positioned to help corporations navigate the challenges they face around ex executing and structuring the holding of large Bitcoin positions and our ability to deliver Marathon a tailored and custom solution with a quick turnaround and no market impact is why corporations and insurance companies choose NYDIG. Just, it's like a freaking advertisement, man. Stop it. Okay, so there, there you go. That's the marathon story. And honestly, that's kind of a that's a kind of an interesting story. Here we have a dedicated Bitcoin mining company who's already mining Bitcoin, is has made a purchase of yet more Bitcoin miners to mine more Bitcoin, and even these guys are buying Bitcoin on the open market. I mean, that's 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 kind of an impressive move. That shows, I mean, uh, the statement reads, reads of suit speak, I, I admit, but I mean, it really does demonstrate a fairly deep commitment to what's going on here. And I, I think it's like a combination of not only are, are we really unsure what the hell is going to happen when they really turn the money printers on and turn them on, they will, but also the fact that 
they already mine BTC and yet they're buying BTC. So it's like, it's sort of like a, an all in, all in situation. And I don't know if any other mining company has actually done this. I mean, not, well, not to this extent anyway, in either event, um, that's good news. And, but, you know, clearly Lloyd Blankfein doesn't think this is a good move at all. Um, and it's probably because they, you know, like I said, they want to keep control. <clears throat> and one of the ways they're going to keep control of their legacy system is by injecting their legacy bullshit into new systems. Now, this next one is going to get into the realm of shit coinery. So I, I'm warning you, if you have children in the car, listening to things about DeFi is probably much worse than uh, the few curse words that I use every single day. Uh, collateralized debt obligations are making their way into DeFi lending. Let me read that again because it's important. Collateralized debt obligations are making their way into DeFi lending. The future of finance apparently involves Wall Street's ghosts. Coindesk and William Foxley is going to tell us about this. Suitably named Opium Finance has released collateralized debt obligation products or CDOs for compound finances, automated lending markets. Opium Protocol founder Andrey Belikov told Coindesk in a phone interview in, on Friday, investors can put up the compound debt token CDI and soon Uniswap LP tokens to diversify exposure to DeFi lending markets. Opium's product pays out a structured return to both a senior and junior risk tranche in exchange. The former tranche offers a 7% fixed return on DAI at maturity, while the latter pool offers a variable rate paid out after filling up the senior tranche's return, a blog post shared with Coindesk states. As depicted in Michael Lewis's The Big Short, CDOs are infamous for their role in monetizing the subprime mortgage crisis that spurred the 2008 financial crisis. Warren Buffett even went as far to call CDOs and other derivatives financial weapons of mass destruction years before the financial downturn. CDO holders lost out on expected payments when mortgage holders defaulted in mass. Banks that were overleveraged on the then worthless debt obligations began to default themselves, such as failed financial giant Bear Stearns, which pretty much started the whole damn thing. It's thought the transparent nature of blockchain-based financial applications could limit the downside of using these complex derivatives. Moreover, the risk profile of the average DeFi lending app is vastly different for the reason CDOs became a household name for over a decade um, or over a decade ago. DeFi apps have little chance of becoming insolvent due to uh, programmatic liquidation settings. Rather, the risk comes mostly down to software exploits, which many poorly put together DeFi apps experienced this past year. Uh, Balakov said risk tranching increases the efficiency of capital on lending markets, a poorly understood problem in young DeFi markets he thinks derivatives can help address. <clears throat> it works as follows. A protocol issues a debt token representing a claim to funds deposited on locked or locked on a DeFi app such as CDI. These debt tokens, debt tokens, allow those same deposits to gain exposure on other markets. However, most DeFi investors let these debt tokens sit idle in wallets, reinvest them as collateral for other loans, or put them up for yield farming. The problem is these bets often move in the same direction, placing debt tokens into Opium CDO. On the other hand, acts as a categorical alternative to other forms of capital exposure, Belotkov said. Quote, what we did was look at the lowest hanging fruit, and we found that Uniswap LP tokens, Compound CDI, and some, other, uh, some others are just stored on a wallet. They are not being used as collateral or farming. You don't utilize this capital. The derivative joins other early attempts to protect lenders from the software risks associated with decentralized finance. For example, Saffron Finance launched its unaudited protocol in November, while little-known protocol Barnbridge continues to build out an offering similar to Opium's. The protocol also released a credit default swap product for the Tether stablecoin in September. Opium is also jumping on the governance token bandwagon. 
The protocol released its opium token, which is opium, uh, Monday for decentralizing the protocol's governance structure. The launch was preceded by a pre-mine, of course, and a $3.5 million private sale, including participation from venture capitalist Mike Novogratz, Galaxy Digital, QCP Satera, Hashkey, and Alameda Research, among others. So, <clears throat> yeah, that what honestly, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, the exact same thing that's already gone wrong several times before. But, you know, I think a person who really loves this situation is Janet Yellen, who was confirmed as Treasury Secretary yesterday. Jeff Benson tells us about it, writing yesterday for Decrypt.co and says, <clears throat> the U.S. Senate confirmed President Joe Biden's nomination of Janet Yellen as Treasury Sec. On Monday, in an 84 to 15 vote, Yellen, who previously helmed the Federal Reserve from 2014 to 2018, described herself as not a fan of Bitcoin in October of 2018. She is also referred to as uh, referred to it as a highly speculative asset. More recently, during the confirmation process for the Treasury role, Yellen updated her thoughts on cryptocurrencies, which she thinks can benefit the financial system. In oral testimony in front of the Senate Finance Committee, Yellen answered a question about cryptocurrencies being used to finance terrorism by stating that regulators and policy policymakers should, quote, examine ways in which we can curtail their use, at least with regard to illicit purposes. Her written testimony was more expansive on the issue. Quote, I think it's important we consider the benefits of cryptocurrencies and other digital assets and the potential they have to improve the efficacy of the financial system, she wrote. Through, oh, though cryptocurrencies can be used for terrorism and money laundering, she said, quote, I think we need to look closely at how to encourage their use for legitimate activities <clears throat> while curtailing their use for malign or illegal activities. Well, why don't you try doing that for the U.S. dollar first and then come talk to us? Importantly, she also vowed, quote, to work closely with the Federal Reserve Board and the other federal banking and security regulators on how to implement an, an effective regulatory framework for these and other fintech innovations. It's something that's long been missing, but it may be a promise she can deliver on. Yellen and Chairman Jerome Powell already have a strong rapport, having served together for six years on the central bank. As Treasury Secretary, Yellen will be in charge of several agencies that deal with cryptocurrency, the most notable being the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the OCC. The former guards against terrorism funding and money funding and money laundering. The latter, which is an independent bureau, regulates national banks and credit unions, including the first cryptocurrency institution with the national charter, Anchorage. And we talked about Anchorage a few days ago. So there it is. Yellen is now your treasury secretary. And instead of wearing uh, not my president, maybe the pins should read not my treasury secretary because this chick is going to get us in trouble. It's not going to look like it. She's going to be hailed as a savior. I guarantee it. She's going to come in and she's going to flip switches on the money printing and or tell or rather tell the Fred to the Fed to flip switches. And then they're going to issue bonds like nobody's business, man. And it's going to be a bond market smorgasbord until nobody shows up to buy the bonds. I think that that's going to happen under Janet Yellen's tenure. I think it'll be late in her tenure, but I think it's going to happen. Caitlin Long <clears throat> was talking to, uh, I want to say, was like two years ago. And I want to say it was either Peter McCormick, I think it was Peter McCormick, in fact. And it was the first time I'd ever heard uh, Caitlin Long talk. If you don't know who Caitlin Long is, she's been in finance for years. She's now out there in Wyoming. She's, if, if you've just got into Bitcoin, you just need to start searching, uh, Caitlin Long, uh, starts with a C by the way, I think it's C A I T L I N. Um, and she's like knee deep in, uh, what the state of Wyoming's cryptocurrency legislation. She's they're opening up a bank that she's like, I mean, she's really going forward, but for years, for years and years and years, decades, in fact, she's worked with the traditional and legacy finance situations. And one day she said the following. She said, watch out because one of these days the Treasury is going to have a bond auction and it's going to fail. That means nobody buys it or it's so horribly under undersubscribed that it might as well have been that nobody bought it. And then the one after that will be worse. And the one after that will be worse. 
And that's what she, what she was saying was that that's what you're looking at. When it comes to the next crack up boom or whatever you want to call it, the next complete fail, it's not going to be a bank going under or anything like that. It's probably going to be a complete failure of a United States Treasury bond auction. And God help us if that happens, because it really is good. It's going to make 2008 look like a walk in the park. So again, to guard yourself against it, get off zero. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin, by the way. I don't know if you, hopefully most of my listeners know that, but if you're new, you don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You don't have to, you don't have to pony up 30, you know, what is it now? 32,000, $31,000 to buy a whole Bitcoin. The goal is to get a whole Bitcoin. Uh, but you can do that with DCA. You can buy 50 bucks at a time. I was, by, for, a, for a long time, I just had 10 bucks a week. Honestly, I know it was like just, I was just kind of testing out uh, Cash App and how low I could go. I was buying $10 of, of Bitcoin a week, getting, a, you know, a few thousand Satoshi. And, you know, I mean, like I said, if you're new, that's, that's the way you do it. But you got to get off zero. It's irresponsible not to have some exposure to this at this point. That doesn't mean go all in, okay? Don't go mortgage your house or, you know, sell all your cars and decide, you know, in the middle of summer that you can just ride your bike everywhere and then find out in January that you die of, of you know, exposure or something like that, okay? Don't, don't do shit like that. You don't need to. But having no exposure at this point is kind of, honestly, reprehensible. And we're running a little short today. Apparently, some of the stories that, that I selected, uh, I, I read them a little bit faster than, than normal. Uh, my apologies for that. But, you know, we're, we're almost, you know, it's 51 minutes. That's, that's not bad. Uh, do got a joke. Don't have the sound effect. A burglar broke into my house. I pushed a bookcase over on him. It was shelf defense. Ah, uh, shell. Uh, okay, all right. I know it's terrible, but at least it didn't come from Dad says jokes. This came from uh, continue at k i n t i n u e. So yeah, everybody likes a good dad joke, honestly. And I, the more cringe, the better for me. Um, let's see, what is it? Is it Tuesday? Yeah, it's Tuesday. Uh, there's a some works going on about the Satoshi white paper, uh, and I don't mean like news. I'm saying, and I, I haven't, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it, but I'm, I'm involved with something that is good, by the way. It's not like, you know, we're all getting sued or anything like that. Uh, but there is, there is something in the works uh, revolving around the Satoshi White Paper, and I hope that I get to talk about it formally sometime this week. Uh, but until then, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.